Father God, thank you so much for your word and how you always speak clearly to us through it. Thank you for Psalm 30 and what you have to teach us there. And pray, Heavenly Father, help us to see more of your Son, Jesus, this evening, to be more enamoured by him. And Father, would Psalm 30 become our song. In Jesus' name, amen. So, over the summer, we're continuing our series in Psalms for All Seasons. And the psalm writers were believers just like us, who experienced the full range of life. They knew the depths of despair, as well as confident hope. They knew the turmoil of anxiety and depression. They, they knew the times of grief, as well as times of rejoicing. And so for every situation we face, every emotion we experience, there's a psalm we can sing. And over the centuries, God's people have found such great comfort in the psalms, because they give a voice to the cries of our hearts. And through the ups and downs of my life, I've also grown to love the psalms. Again and again, I find myself returning to them. Last time we were thinking about what it means to wait, to wait on the Lord and to trust him in those times. And today we're thinking about thankfulness. And Psalm 30 is a great Thanksgiving psalm. Now I wonder, are you feeling thankful in your life? Maybe some of us here are feeling very thankful. We're conscious of God's smile and his blessing, the sun shining down on us, perhaps, or maybe not today. But I, I suppose most of us here are feeling the pressures of life. Perhaps we're feeling the stress of being overworked, or the pressures of raising children, or the frailties of old age, or whatever else it may be. And the thought of thankfulness seems like a very long way away. Or perhaps we're in the storms of depression and there seems to be no end in sight. Or maybe we're going through illness. Or we're saying loved ones go through it. Or maybe we're being tossed about by the waves of grief. And so the thought of joy and contentment seems laughable. But what is the way to joy? Because all of us long to have joy and contentment in our lives. Joy is so much more than happiness, which comes and goes like the wind. Joy is deeper and much more permanent. And so we search for it in various places. We search for it in our jobs, in our relationships, in our achievements, in our hobbies. But no matter how much we search for it, it seems to escape us. The contentment we, we, young, we, we yearn for slips through our fingers like grains of sand. But there's wonderful hope for us, because Psalm 30 is King David's journey to joy. And he invites us to share in that journey. And David's joy wasn't skin deep or pretending everything was okay. No, he knew the very depths we experience. He knew the pressures of living for God in a hostile world. He knew the pain of grief. He knew the turmoil of illness and the loneliness of depression. And Psalm 30 is his journey from those depths to a deep and lasting joy. So with that in mind, let's have a look at Psalm 30. And the first thing we see is the king's joy in the Lord. And that's verses 1 to 3. So have a look at how the psalm begins and ends. It begins with David praising the Lord. And it ends with David praising the Lord again. So have a look at verses 1 to 3. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. 
O Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. And so from the very beginning of the psalm, David is quick to praise the Lord, Yahweh, the true God, the God who makes his promises, the God who keeps his promises. And he says he will exalt him. That is to lift him high, high above all other things. He is quick to give him all the praise, the glory, and the honor. And joy is intimately tied up with thanksgiving. They can't be separated. So thankful people are joyful people. And thankless people become embittered people. And thanksgiving knows who to thank. And David knows to thank the Lord. But what's made David so thankful to the Lord? Well, we see the answers there in verses 1 to 3. And the reason is, the Lord was the king's deliverer. So verse 1, the Lord God lifted David out of the depths. Here is a picture of being rescued out at sea, being plucked out of raging waters. Now, I don't suppose you've ever been swimming on the coast. I remember a few years back, uh, I went swimming on a school trip in Devon, which is off the coast of Devon. Everything was going well, swimmingly, you might say. But until I got swept up in a strong current, that took me far from the shore. And struggling in those depths was one of the scariest experiences of my life, because I thought I was going to drown. And so, can you imagine my relief when finally the boat came and rescued me out of the water? I suppose that's a small image of what King David is saying here. He was in the raging depths. He was scared he was going to drown. Yet God lifted him up. Well, what could the depths be that David's referring to? Well, it could be any number of things. Perhaps it was the years being hunted by King Saul. Or perhaps it was the loneliness of being conspired against. Or perhaps it was the depths of his very own sin. Well, it could be these things and more. But David's deliverance doesn't end there. Because his enemies were also silenced. We see that again in verse 1. And through his life, King David had many enemies who would have loved to gloat over him as the anointed king. So we think of King Saul and his intense jealousy of David, or Absalom, his son, who tried to dethrone him, or Joab, one of David's key men, maneuvering for political power. And yet God silenced them. He silenced his enemies. Because David was lifted up, and they had no more reason to gloat over him. And in verses 2 to 3, we see yet more examples of the Lord being his deliverer. So he was perhaps on his deathbed on a severe illness, and yet he calls the Lord and he helped him, he healed him. He was pretty close to death's door. But in one sense, God raised him from death to life. You see that in verse 3. O Lord, you brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down into the pit. Now this is resurrection language, isn't it? He was in the realm of the dead, but he was brought up to newness of life. And so can we see why King David is so joyful in the Lord? Because again and again the Lord delivered him. And so David overflows with a joyful thanks to his God. And he wants to see God, God's name lifted on high. But David's joy isn't a self-contained British joy that never bubbles to the surface. They say a, a Brit's sense of joy is so deep that you'll never know it's there. <laughs> now he wants other people to share in his joy. 
And that's the second thing we see in his, in his psalm, the king's invitation to share his joy. So have a look with me at verses 4 to 5. Sing to the Lord, ye saints of his, and praise his holy name. The king now addresses the overhearing people of God. And what does he call them to do? He calls them to sing. He calls them to join in his song. And so we're not to be passive onlookers in the Christian life, or simply pew warmers. No, the king wants us to join in his song, to share in his joy. I was reminded of the scene in 2 Samuel 6, when after many years, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, finally came to rest in Jerusalem. And do you remember the scene? King David was there, and he was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and he was singing at the top of his lungs. And there was Israel, praising God with him. And why does he call us to sing? Well, the reason's there in verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Verse 5 is like the anthem of this psalm. It's the verses we keep coming back to. Yes, there may be times of weeping, times when we experience God's anger, maybe through the discipline of our sin. But his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Our God is slow to anger, and yet he's so quick to pour out his mercy on us. Yes, there may be times of deep sadness and deep suffering. And if we've been following Jesus for any amount of time, then we'll know we're not free from life's hardships. But the weeping will stay only for a night, only for a season. The morning of rejoicing will dawn. There will be an end to the tunnel of our griefs. And now this isn't naive wishful thinking or a rose-tinted outlook on life. Because King David is singing from his own personal experience. So in the rest of the psalm, he shares his own journey to joy from those depths. So we see his journey to joy. And it has three stages. The descent in verses 6 to 7, the plea in verses 8 to 10, and the rise in verses 11 to 12. So verse 6. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. David's journey to joy began from a place of confident security. He had everything going for him. After many years of obscurity, he was now enthroned as God's king. He had known unparalleled victory as his enemies were defeated before him. And he had secured peace for God's people. He was now the hero of many a song. And so as he says in verse 6, his mountain was standing firm. His lot was secure. Yet how quickly did that confidence in the Lord become a smug self-confidence? Perhaps, like most of us, he was tempted to take the credit when things were going well. And it was from this smug self-confidence that David descended into the depths. Perhaps it was through his shameless sin with Bathsheba and the disastrous murder of Uriah, her husband, he saw his kingdom spiral out of control, and he ended crushed in utter dismay. And God hid his face from him, and that's quite a strong image. God was so angry at David that he had to hide his face. And, and that means God felt distant. 
And we're not told why God felt distant. Maybe it was through his sin, or maybe it was through the clouds of suffering from some other trial. And I suppose most of us can relate to, to God feeling distant, especially when we're suffering. But it was in those depths, and God felt far away, that David cried to the Lord for mercy. So the next thing we see is his plea. Verse 8. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. So it was a time when God felt very distant to David. Yet he cried to the Lord for mercy. And it's a bold, gutsy prayer. David prayed in the depths. He's saying that if he goes down to death, then the, the ground, the dust, won't be able to praise him. He doesn't appeal to his own merit or his own reputation, but he appeals to God's mercy, his faithfulness to his covenant promises. And I suppose when we're down in the depths and the clouds of darkness hang above, it can seem there's a barrier blocking our prayers. But no matter how far God away seems, he's still his. He still hears our prayers. Because he heard David's plea. Because the final stage of David's journey was his rise to joy. So have a look at verse 11. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Do you notice how far apart the extremes were? They couldn't be greater. Before he was wailing in the depths, but now he was dancing. Before he was mourning in sackcloth, but now he was alive with joy. Before his suffering had silenced him, but now he was going to praise God forever. And it's quite a deliverance that God has worked in David's life. And there's nothing more able to make us sing than the Lord's deliverance. The time of King David was a great time for Israel. It was one of the high points. But after King David passed away, Israel spiraled into spiritual apostasy. The kingdom was torn in two, and eventually God's people ended up far away from home, in exile. And during that time, God's people longed for a king like David. And after many years of waiting, finally, a far greater king came. A king who knew a far deeper joy in the Lord, and a king who, like David, invites us to share in his joy. Speaking, of course, about Jesus. Because Jesus was the king of all eternity. He knew the Father and delighted in him for all his days. And he wanted others to share in that joy. And so Jesus began a most immense journey so that we, undeserving sinners, could share in that joy. And Jesus' journey, too, began from a place of security, not from a place of smug confidence, but eternal dependence on his Father. And so from the heights of infinite glory, Jesus began his descent. There's a verse that says God has to stoop down to look at the heavens, which seem vast and massive to us, as though we're looking down at an ant. And yet the eternal Son of God stooped far lower than the clouds. He stooped far lower and became a fragile human baby, born into a smelly stable. He was a refugee on the run for his life. 
And as his life continued, Jesus began to descend even further. The king of endless joy became a man of sorrows. He became a man familiar with suffering, a man familiar with pain. The one for all creation was made for was despised and rejected. Yet in overflowing love and absolute obedience, Jesus kept on descending. His closest friends abandoned him. He was falsely trialed and he was strung up to die in the most shameful, agonizing way possible. And on the cross, Jesus descended yet further, bearing the horrors of our sin. Jesus descended yet further under the crushing weight of God's anger. On the cross, Jesus descended yet further into the cold, crushing darkness of hell. So can we see what an amazing descent Jesus made? He started from infinite glory, and look where his love took him. But next we see his extraordinary plea. Because what did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? As the agony of the cross lay before him, Father, not as I will, but as you will. As the hymn puts it, he had no tears for his own griefs, but he swept drops of blood for mine. And in John 17, he prayed that we undeserving sinners would have the full measure of his joy. And after hours of mockery and torture, even on the cross, Jesus still prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. David prayed for mercy for himself, but this king prayed mercy for others. And Jesus didn't simply plunge into our depths and plead for us in them. He blasted a hole right through them. Because on the third day, he rose again from the dead in glorious victory. In the the 15th century, the southern tip of Africa was called the Cape of Storms. Many attempts were made to sail around it to the promise of India. And thousands of lives were lost as the ships were thrown by the storms into the rocks. And the Cape seemed like an impossible barrier to cross. That was until 1497, when an explorer called Vasco da Gama sailed through. He found a way through the storms, and he pioneered the way to India. And on his return, he he named it the Cape of Good Hope. And that's a small glimpse of what Jesus did for us on the cross and on Easter Sunday. Jesus, the one man, endured all the storms so that all of us in him could have hope. With the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and he smashed through the impenetrable barrier of death. And he opened up a glorious future for all of us who would go with him. And so Jesus is the one most able to sing Psalm 30. He is the one most able to say that his wailing has turned into dancing. Jesus is the one most able to say that the Lord is his deliverer. But what does this mean for us? I've thought of two take-home applications. Now they're on the outline. Sing the king's song and don't lose heart in the depths. So like David before him, Jesus invites us to share in his joy. He's like a great choir master calling us to sing. And so we too can rejoice in God's deliverance because we too, through Christ, have been saved from death, 
saved from the penalty of our sin, and we've been raised with him in the spiritual realms. And so in Jesus, Psalm 30 can become our song. And we may still feel the, the, the currents of the depths we experience, but Jesus, our head, is above water. And one day we will be with him, and we will experience life free from the pain and free from the griefs. And all the joys we experience now are but a little taste of the banquet of eternal joy that is to come. And every trial we face is but a small picture of the great story. And so every trial we endure becomes a chance to hope in him. And so it's possible, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our depths, to have joy. Let me tell you a story about a woman named Joni Erickson. She has been a paralyzed quadriplegic for the last 50 years. And so you would think after many years of suffering, she would be a very bitter person. But she describes herself as one of the happiest people in the world. And why? Because she's had to cling to Jesus so tightly. Jesus again and again has proved to be her, her strength for every trial, her indestructible hope. In a recent article, she wrote this. I can't tell you how many nights I've lain in bed, unable to move, stiff with pain, and I've whispered near tears, Oh Jesus, I'm so happy, so very happy in you. We hear stories like that and we think, that sounds too good to be true. But it's not, because the King of joy endured the depths so that we can have joy in him, even in their midst. But maybe we feel like we're trapped in verse 5 and we're caught in a time of weeping. And the trial we're facing doesn't seem to have any end in sight. Well, take heart. Because the Lord Jesus is with you in the very depths. He, know what, he, he knows what it's like to go through them. He empathizes deeply with us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And wonderfully, he's promised to rescue us from every trial. And in him, the morning of joy will dawn. In him, the time of rejoicing will come. In heaven, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And he will bring complete restoration to all things. And so, don't lose heart in the depths. Our king has traveled them before. And he walks with us now, leading us into a glorious, eternal joy. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father God, thank you so much for the riches of your word and how Psalm 30 is fulfilled in Jesus, your son. Thank you that he became a man of sorrows so that we could have joined him forever. Praise you, our Father, that he knows the depths we experience and that he walks with us now. Praise you, our Father, that Jesus has smashed through death so that we can have an undying hope in him. And so, Father, help us to rejoice in your deliverance and to trust you in the trials we face. In Jesus' name, amen.